Team USA beat Ghana on Monday in its 2014 World Cup debut after being defeated by Ghana in the past two World Cups. But perhaps even more startling is the nearly 200,000 tickets Americans purchased to this year's games, the second largest amount bought by any country, trailing only behind the host country, Brazil. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll discuss the rising number of soccer fans in America and Indiana, and how the World Cup plays into that trend. We'll talk with a soccer broadcaster and the owner of a Bloomington bar that has long been known to attract soccer fans. And we invite you to join our conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about the 2014 World Cup. Of course, Team USA beat its nemesis Ghana uh, earlier this week, and it's going to be playing Portugal on Sunday. And that uh, recent victory comes after a report that was uh, released that indicates that the U.S. has purchased about 200,000 tickets for for these games in Brazil, that's second only to the host country. Uh, so this week we're going to talk about the growing importance of soccer and uh, why more people are becoming soccer fans than ever before and how this all fits into the, the World Cup. So our guests today in the studio are soccer broadcaster and coach Chris Dorn. Uh, and also Michael Cassidy, the owner of the Uptown Cafe, which has attracted fans of international soccer for years and years. So welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Bob. All right. And you can join the program uh, by giving us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can also join us or follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So, yeah, it's been, you know, soccer has been a, a sport that's just grown and grown over time. And I mean, both of you have been in since the ground floor. We, uh, we try to get a hold of one of the Yegleys, either, you know, Jerry or Todd to come on today. And I don't know what happened, but neither one of us was available because, of course, IU's been a hotbed for mm-hmm. soccer in the U.S. But uh, now, I mean, this whole world soccer thing has taken – I want to talk to Michael first about, you know, why you got started with soccer at the Uptown. Is it your passion or was there somebody else working there that really wanted to, to be involved? No, it's, it was mine, <laughs> you know. So um, for me, it was, just began maybe 25, 26 years ago. I had a neighbor, uh, Mike O'Day, uh, who really loved, loved the game, and I had absorbed – a family of four, and then we had two more, and my boys started playing, and I, I was like the ultimate soccer dad, I guess. And but a light went off, and I just started a love affair with the game that 
has just grown and grown. And then with the bar at the Uptown, especially when it was a small bar, mm-hmm. I just really indulged in, in my love for the game. And uh, uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I can remember going into the, the old bar there and seeing you know lots of posters of international mm-hmm. players on the wall that I'd never heard of before. <laughs> and there was always soccer on television mm-hmm. above the bar. Right. And, and a lot of people sitting around just really intrigued, just really into it. Absolutely. I mean, I think Bloomington being such a international uh, attraction, the university in particular, mm-hmm. um, and then with the Indiana University team for a long time, it just, I don't know, it just hit the spot for a lot of people. It was a natural. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give Chris Dorn a little bit more of an intro. Chris has been around Bloomington for a long time promoting soccer. But he's also uh, been a broadcaster doing uh, 10 years with uh, the Chicago Fire, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's with the Columbus Crew in the MLS and also the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports. So yes. doing all those things. So you're doing a lot of traveling. Huh? I, I do a lot of traveling, and I'm very fortunate, real blessed to have the chance mm-hmm. to see the game at very, you know, just unbelievable levels of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael's being a little modest. He, U.S. soccer and U.S. soccer fans voted his bar one of the best places to watch a soccer game in America Is that right? a couple of years ago, and he was on a national list as a result. So mm-hmm. uh, he's done more than just invest his time in supporting his sons and other players, but uh, he's also garnered a national re- reputation with that place. Mm-hmm. So besides a Broadcasting, you've also been a coach. You coached in the local high schools, right? Yep, I coached at Bloomington South and Bloomington North and uh, coached the girls and the boys at Bloomington North and um, spent a lot of my time now with uh, kids in the age group of 4 to 12 uh, and really enjoy it. Four- and five-year-olds with Bloomington soccer, um, they remind you why you enjoy enjoy the game overall and why you started playing. Mm-hmm. So can one or both of you sort of give us a little history of how, how this has grown over the last, I don't know, quarter century, couple of decades? I mean, Michael, how many people did you used to have that would come and watch soccer versus now? You know, uh, well, my, my old bar sat maybe 30 people, and then the back room, which was another 50, 60 people, um, I mean, the old bar would fill up pretty regularly, but at the U.S. Ghana game uh, a week ago or a mm-hmm. few days ago, um, we had over 175 people. I had over 100, 120 in the bar, and then the back room was full. With 60, I probably could have filled up the dining room and half of the apartments upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many people. I mean, it was stunning. and. Mm-hmm. Then with every game, I mean, I'm I'm shocked. Like yesterday when Columbia played, I, I probably had 30 Colombians with mm-hmm. their jerseys, and they were going crazy. I mm-hmm. mean, so it's just been, I, I don't know, it's amazed me, actually. You, you've really become a home away from home for people to enjoy the sport. I have. I think I have. You yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. My husband and, and I you know, were... it also, I think, the atmosphere... Just watching it with friends, and and it's more than just the World Cup. It's the English Premier League, it's the MLS, the Champions League during during the years. I mean, the the World Cup is the pinnacle every four years, but it's every Sunday uh, at the Uptown. I mean, it's busy in the bar, people watching games and. It's gotten very popular. And we should say, just to, to be fair, I mean, the Uptown has been the place. You started it. You're still the big 
player when it comes to soccer, but I, I would assume you talk to other owners of bars. I assume that some of them are getting a few soccer fans now, too. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they are. I know they are. I know yogis get soccer fans. Uh, I was at the Malibu Grill last night. I mean, and they had the games on. So, yeah, it's it's overflowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm. It's probably it's it's the game that I pay or the uptown kind of identifies mm-hmm. with. Right. But uh, the other sports bars and restaurants, mm-hmm. yeah, more and more. Um, so. Again, the, the international interest. I mean, I, I understand how, you know, in Bloomington, I mean, I've been out to watch, you know, games when IU was playing in the College Cup before. Um, but this international interest, you see jerseys of all these international players, half of whom I, I can't pronounce their name, mm-hmm. you know, who you see them all over. I, my wife and I were, were with uh, some family, and there was like a you know ten year old who was there with uh, the guy from Argentina, Messi. Messi. Mm-hmm. He had his shirt on, and and I'm like, who who is that, and why are you wearing his shirt? <laughs> so well, yeah. we went to Indianapolis, and we saw him play, and and I love him, and he's yeah. the greatest. And yeah. I mean, so how did this international thing take hold, Chris? Well, um, you know, I th- it, there isn't one simple answer. I think um, we, we've seen certainly with the growth of social networking and the access of computers and the fact that so many kids ages 7, 8, 9, and 10 have access to an iPad or, or a computer at home that they're able to gain instant access, immediate access to their, their favorite stars. Um, and that's true whether their star is Angelina Jolie or their favorite star is, um, you know, uh, uh, a cartoon character, but for this population, um, uh, for soccer fans, it's the Messi's of the world. It's Ronaldo. It's um, uh, Clint Dempsey. It's Landon Donovan. So uh, they have instant access to it. Whereas when we were kids, we had to wait for the six o'clock news to come on. So it's a little different story these days. On top of that, um, as Michael said, you know this is the pinnacle. It comes around only four, once every four years. But ironically, in the American sports calendar, in my estimation, it comes around at exactly the right time. The NBA is done. The NHL is done. The NFL hasn't started yet. And those are the big three, and Major League Baseball being the fourth. Uh, and I'm, by the way, for sports fans, I'm not putting those in any particular order. But Major League Baseball is isn't even at the the All Star break yet. Right. So this is a perfect time for sports fans in general. And then, as we all know, because we see this with the Olympics um, every four years, America loves the red, white, and blue on an international stage. And so any chance that Americans have to wrap themselves in the flag and compete against other countries, uh, all the better and all the more exciting. Um, But with regards to the growth of the international stars, the availability of these stars on a week-to-week basis, as Michael said, with the Premier League, where most of them play, the Spanish League, the Italian League, those kids are watching these stars every afternoon at 3 o'clock on NBC or even on Sky News or or whatever they choose to watch it on ESPN. So um, the accessibility or the access to these stars, I think, has made them much more a uh, a living room fixture for so many of the younger players. Mm-hmm. All right. We're talking about uh, the World Cup and soccer. I guess the world calls it football. Um, but it's uh, 855-0811 if you want to join us from Bloomington. And Bloomington is a hotbed of soccer fans, so please give us a call. Talk to uh, Michael Cassidy from the Uptown Cafe and Chris Doran, who's a soccer broadcaster and a coach. You can also call from outside of the Bloomington area, 1-877-285-9348. You 
You can join in the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You know, I've been wondering if the growth of soccer um, among young people especially um, could be contributed in part to the concern that parents have about head injuries, um, especially with uh, football. And so this, I know as a parent myself, I steered my son towards soccer because I didn't feel comfortable with the, again, potential head injuries. Do you think that's a trend? Well, I, um, it, I, I don't think that that's too far-fetched. Um, the book How Soccer Explains the World actually goes through different parts of the globe and explains how soccer took foothold. In America, along the eastern seaboard, soccer was, outside of being played by immigrants at different factory cities around the country, was being played in the suburbs. And in certain suburbs, football was the king youth sport. Parents started to realize that their kids were getting injured or exposed to injury, potential injury, in, those, in that sport. They put them in the car on Saturdays, and they drove them 25 miles to the nearest youth soccer organization, and they played soccer there. So that reason for parents diverting their kids from a maybe more physical sport to a less physical sport, or so they perceive, um, where they might be less exposed to injury, um, has been commonplace all through the history of soccer in our country, at least from what I've read. Um, but I do think that the spotlight on concussions and potential for injury in football, um, especially on the NFL and collegiate level, has forced some parents to rethink their priorities with their kids and the activities they get involved in. That's not to say, as we both know, that uh, soccer is um, absent of any of these types of injuries. Of I just course. don't think that they're as frequent. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So I want to know a little bit more about how the World Cup works. I know it's, you know, it's the FIFA World Cup, and it's the Federation International de Football Association, FIFA. It's based in I, – I look this up, of course. It's based in Zurich, right? Or at least I it was founded so. there. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I know it's uh, – again, this thing has grown so much over the last nearly a century. Um, so how, how does it work now? There are 200 and some teams that are, are in FIFA. So how do you get down to the number that actually play in the World Cup? You better go for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Is there, I mean, are there qualifications over time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. go but ahead. The, the soccer associations to which each of these international teams belongs holds a series of qualifying games over, I think it's 18 months. And um, those qualifying games, based on your results, allow you to advance until they get to their group of 32. That's about as simple as you can explain it. Of course, there is a lot of drama in that. Um, some of the drama includes uh, when teams are scheduled to play games. For example, the U.S. is prone to scheduling warm weather custom teams in cold weather climates. So <laughs> last year we saw, we, we always see the U.S. play Mexico in Columbus, Ohio. And in large part, too, it's because it minimizes the impact of Mexican ticket buyers in the city of Columbus, because some of the countries, given the diversity of the population in America, some of the cities in our country can actually lend themselves to more fans for the away team than for the U.S. team. For example, if you play in Phoenix, Arizona, you're more likely to get more Latinos. And so that can be a negative for a U.S. team performing there. Um, we also saw Costa Rica 
qualify or attempt to qualify against the U.S. in a snowstorm in Denver this past or last year. So you do see some of that drama play out. And then, of course, there are teams who know that they're close to qualifying, like with Mexico this past se- um, season of qualifying. Mexico was on the brink of being knocked out and not going to the World Cup in Brazil. The U.S. got a result against an opponent that allowed them not only the U.S. to qualify, but brought Mexico in automatically as well. And all was all was uh, right with the world. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. At least according to the Mexicans. So yeah. it's really a very interesting process. It's much more drawn out. Whereas when we finally get to the round of the thirty-two in the group stages, things are much more compressed. We've got two and a half, three weeks of games every day, as you well know. Um, in fact, I'm I'm disappointed this show's not being done on Copacabana Beach because I thought for sure <laughs> you would give us a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of atmosphere, but we're also uh, disappointed, yeah, yeah. Chris. I'm yeah. sure you yeah, are. Yeah, get used to it. It's pretty much here every week. Right. So the the pool play is that that's 32 teams in the yeah. pool play. So now the, there are four teams in a pool. I've been watching that, and the U.S. is in pool G. G. Is that right? Wow, I, I don't actually know. Yeah. I can't remember. I've, 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 it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's in, it was a tough one. It was yeah. a tough one, and uh, the U.S. won that first one with Ghana, and now they play Portugal, and there's Ger- is Germany in there. Mm-hmm. So there are the four teams. Now two of them will advance to the round of 16. Is that correct? Right, and then the knockout stage begins. Okay, and then so the knockout stage is that just one one and you're out. Right. Okay. So, Michael, do, do the crowds start picking up at the uptown as this goes on, or will it depend on whether the U.S. is still in? I think both both are true. Um, definitely, if the U.S. makes it to the next round, it'll be huge, uh, and a lot of peripheral fans will be absorbed. Um, but the knockout stage is very exciting, and the quality just keeps amping up. So, regardless if the U.S. is in or not, it'll it'll be big. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, we, uh, my husband and I had dinner in the bar in the Uptown the other night, and there was a game on. And if you're not enthusiastic when you go in, you are by the time you leave. It's very contagious. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Sometimes I'm worried that I'm chasing the diners away. <laughs> you're not. No, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have a call from Columbus, and uh, it's Kevin on the phone. Kevin? Hello. Hello, I'm Kevin. I'm glad that you're having, hey, I'm glad you're having this program. It's it's speaking very well of soccer in the United States. And um, I just want to say that this sport is the rising sport. And the reason why my children played soccer was what you guys were talking about. My wife decided for me that football was not the sport for our children because it was too physical. What she didn't know is that it is a physical sport, but the intent is not to hurt. The intent is not to knock people out of a game. And understand, I appreciate American football because I played American football, but soccer is the sport for kids today. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it. You guys want to comment while Kevin's still on? Well, I think Kevin knows <clears throat> his place in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think it's, a, it's a, a real fair statement, and I'm sure Kevin's got lots of company in the neighborhood and around the country, too. Um, uh, it, it does not help that attorneys are going after the NFL. We all know how big the NFL is. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help that players are on weekly magazine shows with issues like dementia and uh, other long-lasting, life-threatening injuries. 
Um, and so the concussion discussion has certainly lent itself not just to football parents, but to other sports parents, too. Um, and again, soccer is not, um, I think Kevin actually put it very well, it's just, it's a physical sport, but it's not a sport that promotes the physicality right. uh, so much. We do see a lot more physical play, I think, in, um, in, in the collegiate level. Um, and I think we uh, certainly are seeing quite a bit of the physical play in soccer with the World Cup. One of the things that um, is really noticeable, especially with slow-mo and super slow-mo replays, is that you see the amount of contact that's being made. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, in a traditional, if you're sitting at Armstrong Stadium watching IU and UCLA, you see the players go down, but you don't realize just exactly how impactful that contact is Mm -hmm. because you're not watching it on a replay. So uh, certainly a physical sport. Kevin said it right. It's not a sport that uh, invites the physicality or promotes it. Um, But um, properly trained players can learn how to play out of that stuff and, and do do very very well. Well, another nice thing about it, and Kevin, your your wife might have uh, also mentioned this, is it's such a pure sport. All you really need is a ball, and and you know you can make goals out of anything. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with it spread across the globe. It's just such an easy game to play uh, from a equipment standpoint, I guess. And I think, um, from again, from the parental perspective, you know, you're not buying pads. You're not, or, well, some, of course, you got shin guards. But, I mean, overall, you don't have to head-to-toe outfit your kid every year when they grow uh, in the next size up of, uh, of gear. So, I mean, that's, that's nice. And they just run, run, run and get a lot of exercise. Right. And that's really the purpose uh, for a lot of the parents and the kids that I work with, in particular the four, fives, and sixes, that's what parents want. They just want an active hour of, of participation in some form or fashion. Um, where I tend to promote going out in the backyard and doing it with your child, and you don't even have to write me a check. <laughs> the, the other part of it is, at some point when it becomes structured, the kids actually get something from it. There's a learning experience involved in that and listening and, and all the other things that go along with it. So, right. yeah. One, one quick question. Yes. Do you think we're overcoaching our kids a little bit, though, when it comes to soccer? Uh, I, I agree. I think it's a great question, Kevin. And there are, certainly there are um, people, there are organizations that are uh, guilty of that positively. Um, I think it's something you have to be careful with. The one thing that we don't want to do is stymie creativity. And I think that's that's been a problem for soccer players for a long time is that the overcoaching that you mentioned has sort of um, slowed the development of one's creativity with and without the ball as they get older. So it's a really good point. Hey, Kevin, thanks for calling. All right, we appreciate the call. All right, you can give us a call, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I'm going to reintroduce our guests, and we're going to take a break. Uh, We have Michael Cassidy with us. Michael is the owner of the Uptown Cafe in Bloomington. Uh, for the last, what, three decades? I'd 38 years. 38 yeah. years. Wow. Uh, but three decades, well, yeah, I'll, and a lot of that time has been spent um, promoting soccer, basically, through um, having, uh, you know, showing soccer games and having a bar that was themed around soccer. Uh, and he attracts crowds there to watch him. So Michael's here. And also Chris Doran is with us. Chris is a soccer broadcaster right now with uh, – the Columbus Crew in the MLS, formerly with the Chicago Fire in the MLS, and uh, also has been a soccer coach. So give us a call after the break. We'll be right back.
This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're talking about the 2014 World Cup, which is being played in Brazil. And it's uh, it's much more popular today than it, it was probably a couple decades ago. And, and just the popularity, I mean, in the U.S., not worldwide, but the popularity in the United States has been growing and, and in Indiana has been growing. And we're talking about that with Chris Doran, who's a soccer broadcaster and a coach and Michael Cassidy, the owner of the Uptown Cafe, uh, which has been uh, attracting soccer fans for many, many years. So if you want to join us, please call 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Uh, during the break, I, I asked a question about, you know, the uh, what year was it when the U.S. women won the the World Cup. Do you remember, Chris? Jeez, um, Michelle uh, Kelmer will kill me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's a bad. That's a bad question. Well, we hosted in '94, and then after that, so uh, it must have been '90. Was it '96? Yes, I think so. Okay, so and, and I mean that was a that was I re, I remember the World Cup from that team, a team of women that were very talented and won, mm-hmm. and their you know pictures were all over the place. Yeah. It really hit the national national scene and you know as as i asked do you think that had a, an impact uh here in the u.s and i think chris said no not really <laughs> so can you expand on that <laughs> well, the, i do think though that uh, i mean the u.s has probably been the leader in women's soccer in the world i mean sure they've won two world cups and and so in that sense i i think so also but i mean i have six sons and no 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 uh, daughters so it's not had the effect on me, but it's yeah. definitely huge, huge, mm-hmm. you know, so. All right. Yeah, and as Michael mentioned during the break, it, it was soccer. We were yeah. all glued to the TV set mm-hmm. for that game in uh, the Rose Bowl that afternoon mm-hmm. and, and all the games before that. So it, for soccer purists like ourselves, that, that was a game and that was a World Cup we had to watch. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the concern that I have more from a business standpoint is that women's professional soccer has come and gone since then and is back again, but still it's rather tenuous. And I think that speaks more to how the American public responds to women's professional sports more than how soccer fans respond to soccer in general. Mm-hmm. That was my hesitation okay. in, your, in my answer. <laughs> Great. I yeah. just wanted you to clarify that for yeah. me. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> this is a, a little bit off topic, but soccer fans uh, in other areas, I won't name any specific ones, but can have a reputation for questionable behavior. Um, get pretty rowdy at the games, and um, I've seen you know some other 
again, bad behavior. As soccer grows in the United States, uh, do you guys have any concerns that that behavior is going to transfer to U.S. fans as part of the soccer culture? Um, I think um, it's possible. I, I know with the new Indianapolis team, I mean, there are some rowdy elements, uh, so it's definitely part of the world game, and I think particularly in the World Cup, you see countries being very, very uh, tense and, and really into it, and then alcohol. I mean, you know, so it happens, and it's definitely been part of the extreme attraction of soccer. You get that element. Um, but I think it's waned a lot since the extreme hooliganism of, of the English and the Italians, although they're there are racial issues and violence and uh, a lot around the world. So it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely a part of the game. Uh, so there are those elements that really go into cause a lot of havoc. Do you feel like it's a deep part of the soccer culture? I don't know if I'd say deep. I mean, it, it's a, a small peripheral element, but it's you know, the squeaky wheel, it gets pretty noisy, and mm -hmm. if there's someone that got hurt or died because of fan violence, I mean, it gets, it's all over the world. Sure. Mm -hmm. Chris, yeah. what's your take on it? Well, Mary Catherine, it's a great question, and it, you know, if we look back on the history, maybe the last four or five decades of soccer, in, in Europe in particular, um, what we know, what we now call supporter sections, were um, almost very large fan bases within a stadium that, as Michael said, were fueled by alcohol, the desire to um, really make a statement against an opponent. Um, the, the, the teams that have been formed over time all have a history mm -hmm. either based in religion or culture or dialect within politics. a country or politics. Right. You know. And right. so it becomes more more about that than it does about the game. You add some alcohol onto that or mm -hmm. drugs or anything else and it becomes something more. What we are seeing in America are these supporter sections, especially in Major League Soccer. And even uh, IU has done a terrific job for the students on the opposite side of the main grandstand to provide sort of a supporter section for students. Um, the Hoosier Army is there, and I, I think it's fantastic. Of course, there's no alcohol at, at Armstrong Stadium, which is the right thing to do, and um, fans are allowed to be a little closer uh, and do a little chanting and that sort of thing. That's perfect for college soccer. When we get to the professional side, the supporters tend to be um, at times, they may feel a little entitled. They want discounted tickets, for example. They want better seats. They want to be closer to the field. They want to be able to bring banners in where normal fans can't bring banners in, that sort of thing. And ownership is, has come to learn how to handle those. Um, we were talking off air about uh, the Indy 11. Uh, Peter Wilt is the general manager and president there. Peter has had extensive experience in Major League Soccer and other levels of soccer in this country. And he is a master diplomat when it comes to deal dealing with supporters. He was that way with the Section 8 crowd in Chicago. They wanted their section. They wanted discount tickets. They wanted this, that, and the other thing. And he catered as much as he could in order to allow his team to enjoy that supporter section support at home, but also manage the balance between proper and improper behavior at a public sports venue. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we see more of that better management, I think, from stadium to stadium, which minimizes the amount of hooliganism 
or potential for that, but maximizes the amount of support players can feel from that section in the stands. Mm-hmm. I think part of your uh, question, Mary Catherine, probably comes from what we've all read about things that happen in some, you know, maybe in Colombia or in various countries where if the, sure. the team doesn't do well, you know, players are in danger even. And mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I also think about, you know, you go see a Yankees-Red Sox game and it's in Yankee Stadium. You're wearing a Red Sox cap and you're taking your life in your own hands. <laughs> right. Right. Or, you know, yeah. we had a death. Uh, involving the Giants and the Dodgers a couple years ago, fans right. that beat up on somebody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But you were talking about the Indy 11, and we have a, a, a question on our live chat from Stella who asks the difference between NASL and the Indy 11 and the MLS. Um, well, Indy 11 plays in the NASL, which is a league that is um, separate from Major League Soccer. They operate under their own set of uh, competition rules, um, uh, their league of teams is comprised of uh, clubs from around the country as well as Canada and right. Puerto Rico. Right? What does NASL stand for? North American Soccer League. It was the original professional league in America um, when I was a kid uh, in the 70s and, and uh, early 80s. And then it went away. Uh, financially, it was not sound. You had ownerships in several cities. It grew very quickly, and the ownership could spend as much money as they wanted to on players. So we saw a lot of European mm-hmm. players coming over and ending their careers in America. A lot of money being poured into those players where then there were teams in the NASL that didn't have that kind of revenue to invest in players. Um, so it, it unfortunately went away. In 1994, when we hosted the World Cup, one of the things that we promised FIFA was that the U.S. would start a, a, a new league. And that's how Major League Soccer was born. It was born out of um, a plan that made it a single entity enterprise so that teams could not get away from the recipe for success and mm. find themselves in a um, cash-bound situation where they couldn't compete with other teams in other cities. So is it more of an NFL kind of a... A business model, or um, it is. There are actually a lot of pages from from the NFL that are stolen. As a matter of fact, uh, Commissioner Don Garber is a former NFL employee. So yes, there are a lot of parts of that blueprint that we see in Major League Soccer. All right, if you want to give us a call, we would love to hear from you. We're talking about uh, the World Cup and uh, you know the the increased interest in soccer in the United States and in Indiana specifically. Although in Indiana, it's been Pretty, Indiana has been pretty interested for quite a few years. Uh, you can give us a call, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is where you can go for the live chat, as Stella did. So we appreciate that, Stella. Thank you for your, for your question. Um, I wanted to ask about... Uh, you know, again, with this this new interest, and there are a lot of probably fans that are discovering soccer every day. And I wanted to ask both of you as longtime soccer fans, I mean, are there specific things you could, you know, tell somebody who maybe would tell you, ah, I don't want to watch a soccer game. The games are zero to zero, and it's boring, and I don't want to watch it. I mean, what should people be looking for that might help them uh, appreciate the game more than they might? Um. Well, in my own uh, mind, I mean, I I feel like these games, I mean, soccer is a game where you really have to, you pay attention and uh, a zero to zero or one to one, we all love goals and a goal is very hard to come by. 
But the tension and excitement of watching the game is uh, it's a wonderful thing to me. Um, I, I probably would never try to, you know, uh, people need to come to it on their own. Uh, it definitely is a very athletic and skill-driven player's sport. You know, it's not manipulated by coaches from the outside, uh, which appeals to me. I mean, it's constantly moving. There aren't a lot of timeouts. Uh, I've just, I don't know. I mean, it's its something that I feel like it's an individual thing. Uh, I mean, to me, it's a little bit, I mean, it's way different than basketball in the sense that, you know, you, basketball scores a ton of goals. Mm-hmm. But it's always moving, and it's similar to basketball in that sense, or even hockey a little bit. So, yeah. I don't know. I think, if nothing else, you have to marvel at these guys' athletic, oh my gosh, athleticism. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, wow. Yeah. Are they ever in shape? Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And the um, it, it's difficult to do some of the things that they do with the ball that they make look so easy. And that's why I think uh, some of the coverage that we've enjoyed from ESPN um, with the slow-mo and super slow-mo replays really help tell the story. Um, you can appreciate soccer on a lot of different levels. You know, I can guarantee you that Todd Yegley and Brian Masonoff are watching games way different than mm-hmm. the way Michael and I might be watching a game while we're sitting at the at the restaurant. So um, they're breaking it down a lot differently. Um, some of the announcers that we've seen and, and heard from on ESPN are, are men and women who have followed these players through their club careers and as they represent mm-hmm. their country. They understand what they're fully capable of. They also know what their limitations are. Um, you know, when I watch uh, Costa Rica, which is playing now, um, Giancarlo Gonzalez plays for the Columbus Crew, and he's their center back in, Co- in Costa Rica. Um, he is a spectacular, simple, um, fundamental defender who wins balls out of the air like no one else. Um, when we watch the goalkeeper for Brazil, who plays in Major League Soccer for Toronto, Julio, Julio Cesar, a tremendous goalkeeper, a guy who's got great presence between the pipes. Um, and um, there are uh, any number of players that uh, folks have watched in their club experience over the last year of Champions League, uh, Premier League, and Europa League play, um, where they've come to know exactly what they're capable of. And so when now you see them in sort of a different environment, different teammates, um, and an opportunity to win the most precious prize in our sport, it's, uh, it's really exciting to see. Yeah, I think, too, I mean, when you watch, like Chris was mentioning, some of the individual quality, like of Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo or Andre Pirlo, people start to see what the game is really about. And so. Yeah. All right. We have a phone call. Uh, Ed from Bloomington is on the line. Ed, go ahead. Yeah. Hi. Hey, Ed. Um, I got a question. Um, I'm wondering what you all think of the pressure on the referees when Brazil is playing. I mean, in my opinion, I'm, I've actually lived in Brazil. Um, in that game, which was, um, you know, that, that goal that was gotten by Brazil, uh, the call just seemed outrageous. And I'm wondering if you guys feel that there's an inordinate amount of pressure on the referees when they're playing, you know, Brazil in front of that home crowd. All right, Chris, why don't you handle that? Well, that's a, that's a really great question, Ed. Um, you know, we're all human. Um, we can't help but feel the energy when we walk into a stadium like that. And uh, I'm sure the energy is extra special when uh, Brazil is on their, uh, 
is on the field and, and ready to play. Um, I can tell you, having spoken with and been around a lot of professional referees, that the effort to be as um, objective as possible um, is extraordinary. And they only want what's best for the players and, the, and for the game while they're out there. Um, again, uh, you can say that till the day is done, but understand, too, that the energy in the stadium is extraordinary and, and you, you know, as humans, maybe can't help but be swayed by it. Um, Ed brings up a good point about officiating. We have a U.S. referee down there for the first time since 2002. Brian Hall was the last right. referee. And Mark Geiger and his crew from Canada are down there. And, uh, Ed, have you seen Mark Geiger in his two games already? I think I saw the American one. I obviously can't watch every game. I watch as many as I can. Sure. I don't know which game is he officiating in. Um, he had one... Um, uh, two days ago, I believe it was, and then he had one um, earlier, and he was exceptional. Um, uh-huh. And then they'll they'll select from these crews and decide who moves on to the group stage. So they, too, are looking for an opportunity to advance. Mm-hmm. So to your point, Ed, while it may be overwhelming to be in the stadium when Brazil is playing, playing uh, their opportunity to put forth their best effort and earn a spot in the knockout stage as the crew uh, would mean um, a lot, an awful lot. It would be a career move of all time, wouldn't it, uh, for a referee? Absolutely. Okay, thank you. All right, Ed, thanks a lot. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Okay, guys, don't throw anything at me, but I'm just just curious. I mean, I think about about hockey and I think about soccer in sort of the same way. I mean, they're – there is a lot of action going on, and there are, you know, there's very little scoring generally. But the question I want to ask about that is, is, you know, in hockey, all these teams have enforcers and there are fights and all this. I mean, are there players in soccer that are considered to be like the enforcer on their team, and you just don't want to get around them? Absolutely. Are there? <laughs> okay. I wasn't yeah. expecting that answer. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know. Some yeah serious, yeah. serious type players that really you know their job is to break break the plays up. Mm-hmm. So, is there are there players on the Columbus Crew, for instance, that would fit that role? Well, they're not in the sense that uh, I think in hockey, and I, and I don't watch a lot of hockey, but I, uh, in hockey, it's almost like this one particular player sits on the bench until they need to instigate something, and then they pull that player and put him on the ice. Soccer's not like that. Um, There are players, as Michael said, who are essentially brick walls, and that's their role in the midfield or that's their role in the back. Um, The game itself has become, I think, so athletic Mm -hmm. that, number one, you can't afford to just put some blockhead out there who's going to take an opponent down. Um, And the second piece is you're um, simply... um, not going to find too many players who aren't uh, athletic in their approach to the game. So uh, we don't really have the same sort of enforcer, but we do have players who know what their role is. Yeah. Well, what, what are the physical attributes of an idea? I mean, I know it takes different physical aspects or attributes based on the position that you play, but by and large, what are the physical attributes that come together to make a great soccer player? Well, you've been watching Messi forever, so you, you know that you don't have to be tall, right? No. I mean, I think, you know, one of the beauties of soccer is that you don't have to be a gigantic human specimen. I mean, 
you know, seven feet tall. I mean, in fact, it probably works against you a little bit. But, but there are very, very small, tiny players like Lionel Messi to very big players, uh, six foot seven. Uh, Peter, Peter Crouch, Peter Crouch mm-hmm. who plays in England. Uh, Yaya Torre, who plays for the Ivory Coast and Manchester City, who are really big guys. I mean, but they're really technical that you know they're really good with their their feet and it's also just you know it's a game they they have a, a strong iq for the game too mm-hmm. you know so strategy yeah, yeah. Uh, demarcus beasley comes to mind for a couple of reasons number one he's 85 right. pounds soaking wet um, right. <laughs> he's also a, a U.S. player who plays his club days now in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a matter of uh, Friday night trivia when you're, when you're sitting around the dinner table, DeMarcus Beasley um, is the only U.S. player to have appeared in four World Cups. And on top of that, he's also the only U.S. player who's ever had dinner at Michael's Uptown Cafe. Is that true? That, that, that <laughs> is very true. And he's all, he also went to my high school. He did. So he's from okay. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have a phone call from Terre Haute this time. Okay. And it's Peter in Terre Haute. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, hi. Uh, I, I just wanted to say I'm a, a graduate of, well, not a graduate, but uh, I started my Russian lessons at uh, uh, there at Indiana University, the Slavic workshop, and uh, I'm a, became a translator, Russian translator. And one time I was over in Moscow uh, working, and uh, I had a chance to watch a, a soccer game. They call it football, and um, it was it was quite uh, peaceful. Uh, what um, I had a, an apartment near the stadium at uh, the metro station Spartivnaya. And uh, some friends came up from Armenia to see the game, and so they invited me to go. And I'd never seen a a soccer match. And so we walked over there, and the security is enormous. Uh, They have uh, the army out there as as well as the regular police, and uh, we had to go through... um, uh, you know, the electronic detection to see if you had any weapons. They patted us down to see if you had any uh, booze on you. They didn't allow uh, booze and um, no alcohol that I could uh, see. In the, and then we uh, went through that and uh, went into the stadium. And uh, all around the first row of the stadium, every seat in the first row was occupied by a soldier. And uh, the, uh, when things got uh, going good and the crowd started to roar, um, the, when it was going normally, they're just playing, uh, one soldier, every other soldier would be standing up uh, looking at the uh, crowd. And then when they started roaring, both soldiers, or every soldier stood up and looked at the crowd. And uh, they had uh, troops uh, or trucks of soldiers out in the parking lot uh, sitting uh, just in case of need. And uh, so they, uh, uh, they were there in readiness. They were some in the hallways. Uh, well, that sounds like made... the No Fun League. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, they, it was uh, very ordered. I was... I hate to admit it, but I was kind of like a 
an ugly American. I put my feet up on the on the seat in front of me, which was unoccupied, and a uh, cop came along and tapped me on the feet to keep it down. <laughs> and um, they they yelled a lot. I didn't see any drinking. And then when uh, the game was over, uh, they from the stadium uh, to the metro station, which was about a block and a half away, they had that lined with uh, troops. And uh, so you had to walk uh, down this line on both sides with troops. So I was impressed. It was I'm not a soccer fan, but... They're not all like that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad I you really. hope you haven't lost your spirit for the game because they're not all like that. Yeah. Come to a Major League Soccer game and, and you'll enjoy a lot less police presence, a lot more uh, fun. Well, yeah. I didn't, uh, I don't mind the police presence. There was just not a lot of, out. there was no alcohol, no fighting and that, and I think that's commendable. I agree. Yeah. Is yeah. alcohol allowed in the NRS? All right, Peter. Th- hey, Peter, thanks a lot for your call. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's like going to a pro football game or baseball game, um, and you know, it's it's family friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our Major League Soccer's target audience is usually between the ages of ten and eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. So we, um, and I don't mean to sound like I'm speaking for Major League Soccer because I'm not employed by them, but I I do know that um, the focus is to make every stadium experience family friendly. Um, we want. Um, mom and dad to be able to take their kids to the concession stand and really not miss much of the game. So you see a lot of concourses that are wide open. You can wait online, get your pretzel, and go back and mm. sit down, not miss mm-hmm. much of the game. Right. That's nice. um, a lot of entertainment, the in-game ex- or in-stadium experience gets a lot of attention when teams are building new stadiums and orchestrating their game day experience. All right, we only have about three or four minutes to go, but I want to get your take on what's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks because, of course, Spain won last time, and they're out. Right. So how surprising was that? It's very surprising, but they came to the tournament with um, some nicks and bruises and um, some some years under their belt too. So they're while it Killed wasn't expected. Michael's pool was done. I, I, I love I love Spain. Yeah, I love the way the team has played, and yet the wheel turns. You know, I mean, yeah. So uh, U.S. chances will they get to the final to the, to the sixteen? Yes. Chris says yes. Michael. Michael's not I'm so doing, sure. You know, I'm not, but. Uh, you know, I'm starting to to lean that way. I mean, initially, I did a video interview on a on the Uptown Facebook page, and I said, "No way!" Uh, but the ball is round. You know, that's one of the beauties of this game. I think it's so mysterious. Mm-hmm. Well, so Sunday night, Portugal. They, they, so the U.S. is missing one of its best players, correct? Yeah, Josie Altidore and um, Clint Dempsey playing with a broken nose. But to be honest, I don't think that'll stop him um, much. Um, he plays in a spot where uh, it'll be a an issue for uh, restarts where he's a target for a served ball in the air and he's got to finish with his head. Mm-hmm. He may back out of that sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, defensively, not so much because most of his defensive work is done on the ground. Um, I really think that the U.S. gets out of group play and they move on to the knockout stage. What happens beyond that is anybody's guess. Netherlands looks strongest right now. Germany's always very strong. You can't deny how well they've learned to attack over the last 20 years. Um, and, um, you know, who knows? Costa Rica is a team that could sneak in, too. Michael, what do you think? Those three? 
Um, well, I definitely, I mean, Germany, I would never count them out. Uh, the Netherlands look great. They're back to their attacking ways. I was really impressed with Colombia. Uh, and the Italians are really hard to beat. Mm-hmm. And they've got a midfielder who, to me, is just majestic, and he's probably 36 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's phenomenal. So Okay, so last question. So you guys are talking about how, I think you said Germany has really learned how to attack in the last 20 years. So are the teams that play different styles, an attacking team versus a team that's greater, better on defense? Definitely, and I, I think Jurgen Klinsmann, our, the U.S. coach, had a big effect on. Uh, the Germans were always known as just big, organized, not that much fun to watch, but he made them into a very flowing, fluid, attacking team. And uh, yeah, but there are definitely teams like the Greeks are known for defending, parking the buses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's yeah. in soccer is what it's called. So, uh-huh. All yeah. Right. So, uh, U.S. Portugal six o'clock tomorrow, right? Sunday. Sunday, Sunday right? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We're out of time. I want to thank you guys a whole lot. I've learned a lot. Thanks I know so that. much for having us. All right. Chris Doran has been here with us, and Michael Cassidy has been here for Mary Catherine Carmichael, our producer Lacey Scarmana, and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.